in a series of messages on kingdom implications. And we started with Jesus' inaugural address about the kingdom, that the kingdom is at hand. And he says, repent then and, and come to be a part uh, of that kingdom. Then we've moved to Matthew chapter 13, uh, a kingdom emphasis that Jesus gave, telling parables uh, about the kingdom. And we come to one today that ought to hold everybody's attention, because actually two. It ought to hold everybody's attention, because it talks about discovering buried treasure and discovering, after a lifelong quest, uh, a very valuable piece of jewelry, a precious pearl. So they ought to hold our attention as we look at what Jesus talks to us about today with the implications about the kingdom of great value. So if you look with me in your Bibles or on the screen or on your Bible app or on your phone or whatever, we look in Matthew 13 beginning in verse 14. And Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, two short parables, two quick, two quick teachings that Jesus gave. And, and, and we talked about parables being a teaching that means cast along the side. And means that from everyday life experiences, Jesus would teach them uh, through a parable out of something that they would recognize immediately. Something that they could identify with. Something that maybe they would experience on an everyday basis or at least would be commonly aware of these things taking place. And he does so today in two parables. They've been called twin parables, but yet they're not exactly identical. And we'll look at the differences in just a moment. But these two parables uh, are told together because they both involve discovering something of great value. And so the kingdom implication for us today is very simply this, that the kingdom of God is the greatest discovery and the most valuable discovery that anyone could ever make in a lifetime. So Jesus knew that the human heart uh, would always find it exciting to think about finding buried treasure or precious jewels. That's why people still today, I'm told, pan for gold in the rivers out in California. And I think up in the areas of uh, Franklin, North Carolina, that, that uh, there's still, you can, or even maybe Maggie Valley even, up there in the rivers, you can still pan for gems, looking for those for, for precious, you might find a very valuable precious gem. Uh, or that's why people, I think, go to yard sales and estate sales. Uh, they're always hoping to strike it rich. You know, like the guy that, um, this was a few years ago, a guy in Pennsylvania paid $4 for an old painting only to discover behind the painting one of the original 25 copies of the Declaration of Independence. Can you imagine a discovery like that? And he later sold it for $8.1 million. Now, these two parables are called twin parables, but they're not identical. The difference is this. In the parable of the hidden treasure, the finder wasn't looking for treasure, but he accidentally stumbled over it literally out in the field plowing. In the second parable of the pearl, the priceless pearl, the merchant, the pearl merchant was diligently seeking, has been his life's quest to discover that pearl of great price. So why did Jesus tell these two that are very similar but yet have some differences within them? 
I think he told them because of one simple reason. He wanted us to see that while the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom, as we've talked about, they're all synonymous, that, that they describe the two different ways that people discover the kingdom of heaven. Some people discover it quite by accident. They aren't looking for God. They aren't looking for a relationship with God, and they stumble over that fact. Others have been searching, and they finally come to the point in their life where they're at the right time, at the right place, and their lifelong quest for meaning and purpose in life is fulfilled in discovering a relationship with Christ. So let's look at both of those two thoughts and the implications for us that will follow. Okay? First is this, that some people surprisingly discover the truth about uh, the kingdom of heaven. Some people surprisingly discover the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Now, finding buried treasure in Israel isn't far-fetching. In fact, it still goes on today. When I went for the first time in 1993, I was absolutely amazed that they were still, after all these years of all that ancient history, as long as Israel and the Holy Land had been around, that they were just not excavating some sites. And this, this summer when we went back, how, how many years, I've forgotten how many years difference it had been since I'd been from 93 to 2016. To me it was still interesting that the, the things that they were still discovering, uh, one city in particular had just begun to be excavated when I was there in 93. They still were working on it. Almost had a complete city put together. They had just simply been buried under layer after layer of civilization. It's nothing new. After we got home, uh, our guide, a professor, uh, sent us uh, some information. We've gotten updates three times on other discoveries that have been made in archaeological digs. Uh, that after we had left, they discovered these other artifacts that were there. So it was nothing new even in the time of Jesus, because thousands of people had come through, many multiple generations had come through that time, nothing new for somebody to be out in the field and to discover buried treasure. In fact, one of the greatest discoveries uh, ever made about the Bible was found in 1947 called the Dead Sea Scrolls in the area of Qumran, that uh, a shepherd boy out looking for sheep, and being a, a young boy, he picked up a rock and just threw it casually and went into one of the caves, one of the 11 caves there in the Qumran area. He heard a jawbreak. He went in to see what he, what he had hit. And he discovered, well, he didn't know what they were, but he discovered ancient manuscripts, about 2,000 years old, of biblical manuscripts of original writings of the Old Testament. What a tremendous find. Uh, uh, like this, these scrolls that look like this. Uh, uh, did we show the picture also of the, the cave? I think we did. I know we couldn't go in it today, but you could stand way across a, a valley and look in it. That's one of the caves. That's supposedly one, one of the 11 where some of these Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Just totally by accident, he stumbled over that. Well, when we find this parable of a guy plowing in the field and discovering a buried treasure, we've also got a modern day reference to that. In 1942, in Suffolk, England, a farmer was plowing in his field when he dug up a treasure of beautiful silver dishes dating from Roman times. This discovery was called the Mendenhall treasure, and it was of Roman silver tableware, like that, that you see displayed there. That part actually was defined. Valued at $1.56 million. What a discovery. Now, since Israel had had hundreds of generations come and go, 
It's not hard to imagine a man plowing in the field and digging up a buried treasure. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us what it is. But the guy discovers it, and he knows immediately that it is very, very valuable. In fact, it's priceless. And he did an interesting thing. Instead of just taking it with him, which he could have done by rabbinical law, because finding treasure was commonplace, there was a law that said that actually it was the finder's keeper's law. I don't know whether the loser's weepers came in, whether we put that on there later or not. But the finder's keeper's law was in effect. You found it, it was yours. You could take it. He didn't even have to, we don't know whether, it wasn't his field obviously, so we don't know whether he had permission or what. He didn't even go and take it to the man. He didn't ask anything, but he buried it, reburied it. He went and did everything he could do, put his funds together to buy the field to have that treasure. What a discovery for him. And just simply represents the fact that there are people who literally discover the kingdom of God quite by accident. And that discovery again is the greatest discovery of the greatest value that anyone can make. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. He wasn't looking for a relationship with God. He wasn't looking for a relationship with God through Christ especially. What did he think about Christ? Well, he actually probably thought he was the Antichrist. And, and, and Acts 9 tells a story about how Paul came to discover quite by accident a relationship with Christ. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute those who were followers of the way. And Christ came to him in a blinding light and struck him down. And Paul asked that interesting question. You know, he says, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus said, it's I. I'm the one that you've been persecuting. And quite by accident, Paul came. He wasn't looking for God. He came into a relationship with Christ. He discovered the kingdom of God. He made the greatest discovery of the greatest value that could ever be made. A little more modern example. Here lately we've had uh, uh, some astronauts who have served their time on earth and they have died and and left us. I got thinking about that and I I thought about one who had South Carolina ties, uh, Charles Duke. One of the 12 men, astronauts, who have left their footprints on the moon. You know, he spent part of his growing up years, he was born in Charlotte, but spent part of his years in Lancaster, South Carolina, where he went to high school. Didn't graduate from there, graduated valedictorian from, a, from another academy. Went to the Naval Academy, was the test pilot and all that, and was uh, granted, I think, a status as an astronaut in 65 or 66. Then began all the training for that. But he was one of, of 12 men who walked on the moon. He was, he was Apollo 16 uh, crew member. And... Uh, he tells his own story that he said when he came back, he said that uh, you would have thought that he would have been literally on top of the world. But instead, he said, if you'd been a fly on the wall in the house, you would have known that he was not happy. He was failing as a husband and a father. He said, I'd gone to church all of my life. I had all of God I needed in that one hour every Sunday morning. He said, even the moon had not been a spiritual experience. And then he says this. I was not looking for God. I only knew Jesus the way you know the U.S. presidents in name only. Now, the interesting thing is his wife, Dottie, was a very, very, very strong believer. And he went, says, one night with a Bible study with her, and the question for that night was, who was Jesus? And he said, I gave the same pat answer I'd been given all my life. He was the son of God. But he said, yet it didn't have any meaning for me. But he said, as he listened through that Bible study, something clicked. 
Later that night after the Bible study, he and his wife thought he was sitting in the front seat of their car, and he said, I gave my life over to Christ. He said, I didn't see angels. I didn't hear music. There were no blinding lights. But he said, I knew what I knew. He said, I woke the next day with an insatiable desire to read the Bible. He makes this statement. He said, it cost the government $400 million for me to walk three days on the moon, and it's over. He said, but to walk with Jesus is free, and it lasts forever. I was surprised when I read his bio on the NASA webpage that it gives reference to the fact that he is a strong Christian man, a member of Christian Businessman Association, a lay speaker, and uh, his other accolades in his Christian uh, involvement in life. Now, from his own words, Charles Duke says, I was not looking for God. But lo and behold, he discovered God. It's an interesting verse in Isaiah 65.1. I think we've got it on the screen. Look at that. I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. Now, that's God speaking to Israel in their, in their apostasy and their waywardness. But isn't that a fantastic verse? I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. See, God is looking for you whether you're looking for God or not. And they, you might be like Charles Duke, the astronaut. You might just be sitting here getting your one hour of all you want of God. And what you need is a life-transforming experience with God. And maybe today is a day that you will discover the kingdom of God and its value in your life for all time. See, some people surprisingly come into the kingdom of God. They literally stumble over it like the man finding the buried treasure in the field. Now we look at the pearl and we get a totally different story. This is where some people discover the truth of the kingdom of heaven after searching diligently. And of course the parable of the great pearl and its price demonstrates that truth. By research, by reading your Bible, you know by first century of the Christian era, pearls had become a status of wealth. Jesus told his disciples and tells us today, don't cast your pearls before what? Why? Pigs. You know, don't put your best forward before pigs or they're not going to value it, not going to appreciate it. Paul wanted women of his day to dress modestly. Evidently, there were those who were acquiring wealth. They had pearls and great jewels, and he said uh, to dress modestly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. It's also interesting, I think, I find it anyway, when a Roman emperor wanted to show how rich he was, he would dissolve pearls in vinegar. Now, I don't know whether you dissolve a pearl in vinegar today or whether you even want to risk that or what. Maybe it was different kind of vinegar. But then it said that he would add that to his wine and drink it, kind of like a flamboyantly rich man lighting a cigar with a $100 bill. We're also told that Cleopatra had two precious pearls, each valued at over $400,000. I think we got some picture of a pearl on the shell. I think we all should be aware of how a pearl comes to us. It's there in, uh, found in an oyster shell. The most valuable pearl uh, was, is the Pearl of Allah. I think we got a picture of that. 
Uh, and the second or third time I looked at it, it kind of turned sideways. It looks kind of like a little face over here on the side of that. And I can't tell whether it looks kind of like the Grinch of Christmas or, or what, but it looks kind of like that. I don't know what you'd ever do with it and wear it. it was va- it's been valued at more, over $93 million, the most recent value on it, 2007, but weighs 14 pounds. Ladies, I don't think you'd want to wear it. You'd have to have a, you'd have to have a log chain to put that thing on to wear it around your neck, wouldn't you? Right? Amazing, isn't it, what God can do? Interesting thing about pearls. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, they're all rough crystals, and a craftsman has to cut and polish them. But a pearl can't be cut. You cut it, you ruin its value. You destroy it. See, a pearl comes as a result of suffering, right? Some grain of sand or some kind of irritant gets into the oyster shell, and, and to start dealing with the pain from the irritant, the oyster secretes a substance called nacre, and as it continually does that, and over and over and over, it begins to put layer after layer after layer of the nacre on, on that sand, grain of sand, and it produces that beautiful pearl. The pearl is the only gem that comes from a living creature. And so I think it's easy for us to make the application about the value coming from Jesus Christ. He's alive, and it was through his suffering that value was added to our relationship with him. Now, we go back and we look at the parable, and we look at the man in this parable. Jesus tells us he's a merchant who was looking for fine pearls. The Greek word to describe that man is emporus, from which we get the word emporium. In other words, he was a merchant who would buy things wholesale, sell them at retail. We don't know how far and wide he had searched, but on this particular day, he discovered the great pearl of great price and had the great value for him. It was a chance of a lifetime. He didn't debate about it. He didn't hum and haul over it. He didn't, try to, he didn't try to bargain for the price to come down. But knowing that he had discovered what he had spent his entire life looking for, he was willing to give all that he had to have that pearl of great price. So I think the differences between these two are pretty obvious. The treasure hidden in the field, the man literally stumbles over, by accident discovers a treasure of great wealth. But he knows what he has when he finds it. And he goes and he liquidates all of his assets to buy the field so that he could have that treasure. The pearl merchant, on the other hand, has spent his entire life looking for that one priceless, precious pearl. The one that would bring satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning to his life. When he found it, he too gave everything he had to possess that pearl. Again, kingdom implication for us is this. That they discovered in the kingdom of heaven the greatest discovery and the greatest value that could ever be made. Quite by accident, the man plowing in the field found his. Through an intentional search, the pearl merchant found his. Remember the story in Acts 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch? He'd come to Jerusalem, and and he's sitting in a chariot, and he's reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. 
And Philip comes upon him, and, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch asks, is the writer talking about himself or somebody else? You see, he was a seeker. He was searching. And Philip says, well, can I get in the chair and explain it to you? And so the scripture says, he began with Jesus, and he preached Jesus to him. And the Ethiopian eunuch believed, and they passed water, and he said, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And he was baptized. He was somebody who had been on a life's quest. And when he discovered what he was looking for, the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, he gave his life to it. And that's the call for us. That's the call. Jeremiah 29, 13 is a promise from God. that said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So that's a promise from God. If you really want a relationship with him and you really are seeking after him, you will find him. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, what are the kingdom implications for us today? What are the challenges? What are the thoughts you need to take from here today? I think there are three. First one is this. Knowing Jesus is the most valuable discovery you can ever make. We read quite frequently about people who are tre treasure seekers in this world. One of the most famous is Mel Fisher. I think we got a picture of him there. And one of his great finds in 1985, a, a sunken ship off the coast of Florida, 40 tons of gold and silver valued at $450 million. Can you imagine that? Well, as, as valuable as that treasure is, the most valuable treasure you can ever discover is the kingdom of heaven because it's knowing God through knowing Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with God that's real and meaningful. Knowing Jesus is the most valuable discovery you can ever make. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection." So the question is, have you made that discovery? Have you made that decision today? Second implication, knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice. You go back and you look at the two parables. The man plowing in the field, the pearl merchant. Neither one of them hesitated one moment to liquidate all their assets and to go and purchase what they had found because they knew that it was the greatest treasure they could ever discover. They knew that it would bring contentment, meaning, and fulfillment in their life. Knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice or any cost because that's how valuable it is to know that you're in a relationship with God and to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be willing to give up anything else that might hold first place in your life. You go back again, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul once he came to know Christ. And, and as, as relentlessly as he was going down the Damascus Road in one direction to persecute those who were followers of the way, when he got up from that encounter with Christ and he knew him, he just went as strongly or even stronger following after Christ. And most of the New Testament was written by Paul. Churches were planted by Paul. Missionaries were sent by Paul. We know that he was a man 
who knew he had discovered the greatest value in life. In fact, Paul would say, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul was one who would tell us, along with thousands and millions of others who have made the same discovery, that the greatest discovery you can make, and it's worth all the, all, all the other things in the world that you have, and any cost that you have to make is not high enough to obtain the kingdom of heaven. And then that leads us to then our third implication, and that is that living in a relationship with Jesus brings real joy and fulfillment. Both parables, the man plowing in the field, the pearl merchant, they found what brought them total fulfillment. They were satisfied. They were content. And when we come to know Christ, when we come to be a part of the kingdom of God, then we find the greatest relationship because it brings to us real joy and fulfillment. How does that come about? We know our sins are forgiven. We have all of our guilt removed. And we know God personally. What a wonderful discovery to make. You see, to discover the kingdom of heaven is the greatest discovery of the greatest value you will ever make. Have you made that discovery? Father, through the teaching of Jesus, we just marvel at the depth of your love for us and the display of your love for us. We thank you, Father, that in the teaching about the kingdom, you offer us the opportunity to come into a relationship with you that's real and meaningful, to have our sins forgiven, to have our, our guilt removed, to have the stains of the past forgiven and taken away from us. By the way, there's one here today who didn't intend to be here, but by some reason is here and has heard this message. Maybe he or she's ready to say, I have discovered now the kingdom of heaven and ready to make that decision public. Maybe there's one or two here today, Father, who, who've been searching all their life to find meaning and purpose in life and a relationship that's, that's meaningful and real and, and adds value to life and to find the freedom of the forgiveness of sin and guilt. And they've heard the message of the kingdom. May they respond today and give their life to Christ. Father, move in our midst today. Let your Holy Spirit move and convict us and call forth for the decisions that need to be made. In Jesus' name, amen.